Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's The Polis for new comics on sale February 13th, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And uh, as we're, we're talking about on this show, we've got a lot of books to cover. We're going to yeah. talk about all the new comics that are out this week, the stuff that's going to hit the Marvel Comics app, as well as Marvel Unlimited. Plus, we'll hit the collections on sale, give you guys some suggestions, talk about the books that we love this week, and really like get you ready to read some comics. Yeah. Tucker, start us off. All right. We're starting with Age of X-Men Next Gen number one. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And it is my first pick of the week. Before really launching into the story details here a little bit, I just really want to say I feel like it's been a while since we've seen Marcus Toe. I most kind of fondly think of him uh, with his work with Jerry Duggan on Deadpool, things like that. But something that's really interesting about Ed Brisson as a writer for me is... He feels incredibly versatile. Just this week alone, we're looking at Dead Man Logan, which is really intense, character-driven kind of legacy drama that has that deals with like a, a lot of personal conflict, a lot of past and, and present difficulties. But this one certainly has the drama where it counts, but it, it also just has this really youthful, fun, almost like high school mm. uh, vibe to it, which is so great. Um, and it's something that he captures really, really wonderfully. And, you know, right up there with the best of them, I, I'm so happy to see Glob in here. I actually wonder if there's like an Ed Brisson book that's been out in like the last six months without Glob Herman in it because he is a huge fan and he's popping up all over the place. I am not complaining. I love Glob a ton, but there's a, a crew here and they're at the Summers Institute and we're kind of get this different look at a bunch of the classic kind of X-Men mansion concepts and, and ideas and ideals here, but told in this really interesting different way. We started this Age of X-Men story last week with Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson's kind of kickoff issue where we get this glimpse of this. Even I, I recently did edited a, an interview with, with Zach and Lonnie, actually three-part interview, which you check out right now on Marvel.com and digs into everything Age of X-Men. But that very question is posed to them is like, what is this? Is this an alternate reality? Is this an alternate something? And even they were kind of equivocating on a lot of it, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Uh, and obviously, we'll learn more as time passes. So yeah, this just felt like a really fresh fun story that um you know takes advantage of all the age of x-man stuff but also feels totally like readable and digestible and understandable all of those things just on its own i really like the school aspect of yeah. this it's sort of like a bit x-men a bit generation x a bit harry potter mm -hmm. them getting sorted into different disciplines yes i thought it was really neat whether it's law enforcement agriculture medicine history really fun stuff anyway uh on to our next book which is amazing spider-man number 15 written by Nick Spencer, art by Chris Pashalo, with inks by Live Say They, Foucher, Olazaba, and Townsend, colors by Chris Pashalo and Jim Campbell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. These guys, Nick and Chris, they pack so much into an issue. You've got Spider Man saving the day. You've got all the Craven stuff, of which we get lots of bits about what is coming, what we're in store, what's in store. You've got threads skillfully pulled from older stories like the Clone Conspiracy or Secret Empire. The perfect amount of info of those stories to get you up to speed, but without overwhelming you. Like, oh no, what did I miss? You got some terrific Aunt May stuff, which is which is really fun and. That's the thing I love the most in this issue. It's the strong, resilient, awesome 
Aunt May, who's depicted here, she reminds me of my mom hmm. in some ways. And like, that's like the highest compliment I can give, you know, being helpful to other people, like doing it on her own, raising someone, still going out there, doing charity, all these different things. It's really great. There's a whole bit in here about Peter going on about how, yes, Uncle Ben gave him the power and responsibility concept, but it's May who built him into the man he mm-hmm. is, which I find Really cool, really dope, and like very true for the stories that we know, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Next book this week is Avengers No Road Home Number One. This is brought to you by the team. Came up they with, did not surrender. They did not surrender. That's Avengers No Surrender from like a year ago now, which is kind of crazy to think about. And uh, this is a 10 or 12 weekly I, I don't i don't remember how many issues there are but uh 1000 issues yeah starting out a, a great new story it's written by mark wade al ewing and jim zub all-star trio right there pencils by paco medina inks by juan velasco colors by jesus abertov and letters by vcs Corey pettit hey that bell means it's my first pick of the week oh yeah i loved this and i really i loved no surrender i thought that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. it was the big story that it needed to be you can read the original. It's all it of it is on is, yeah. Marvel Unlimited. It started with like Avengers 675 or 676, but that's available in collection. It's on Unlimited. And that was terrific. But I honestly think that this might be better. We get a good sense of what they're working to and what they're planning. I guess I know a little bit more since <laughs> I've been in like yeah. those meetings and stuff. But we've got more new villains. Team is super fun that they're putting together. There'll be these big surprises along the way. You've got Hercules, Rocket Raccoon, Hawkeye, Clint Barton version, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Spectrum, Blue Marvel, Tony Ho, Hulk, and Voyager, which I think is a really neat cast. It pulls from the last series, but then starts bringing in little bits and pieces of other characters. And they all come together thanks to Voyager, who showed up in No Surrender, her classic sort of trying to fit her into the Marvel yeah. history, but then revealing that that was a ruse. But then she also feels very authentically yeah. like old school classic really, Marvel. Really awesome new character. Yeah. yeah. But she brings everybody back because there's a bigger threat, a huge threat, and she wants to help. She wants to be at the forefront of like saving things. The villain of this book is revealed by the end. It's a new character. She's very cool looking. She's got this classic Greek statue mm. vibe to her. She's this a Greek villain. Look at the way her face is structured and and drawn it is very it just stands out from everything else i think Mm -hmm. it's really neat paco just crushing it here clear vibrant fun detailed storytelling Uh, i particularly like his hulk and his uh, hercules a lot i think he just clicks with those characters one of the things i love about this just creative team the writers and what they do is handling character interactions here you've got a, a a lot of like this character and this character are talking in different ways, in different places. You need that in a big ensemble book, but I think they handle that dialogue really well. The Clinton Wanda stuff is really fun. Spectrum Blue Marvel is really cute and like subtle fun. Like they have their own thing going on. Hulk and Hawkeye is menacing and weird and like Hulk threatening Hawkeye because like mm-hmm. this new sort of the immortal Hulk does not care for right. what Hawkeye did is really neat. Uh, my favorite one was Hulk and Rocket. Because Rocket actually first appeared in an issue of Incredible Hulk, number 271, I believe, which came out 37 years ago, right around this time period, because Mm. uh, I've been doing all this research for the 80th anniversary. Uh, But this is a tremendous first issue. High recommendation for fun Avengers dynamics. This is a really terrific book. Totally. Next up is my second 
pick of the week and is Captain Marvel number two. Getting back to back here, we got this one written by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Canero, colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I love this book so much. Yeah. Captain Marvel trapped on Roosevelt Island in this post-apocalyptic type setting with a really great supporting cast with her. She's got Echo, who is this deaf hero who has powers that are very similar to Taskmaster's, which means she has photographic reflexes. She sees something done. She can essentially replicate it. So she mm-hmm. sees someone playing the piano masterfully. Boom, she can do it. She sees someone give a great spin kick. Great. She can now <laughs> kick like that. It's really, really neat. She is a former Avenger. She sort of debuted, I believe it debuted in Daredevil. like mm-hmm. her a lot. She's here. Uh, we've got Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, who's in here. Hazmat, the younger character that is sort of being mentored by Carol. She was in the first issue. She's here. We're getting a sense of what's going on, but still with a lot of mystery of like, why is Roosevelt Island yeah. this sort of war zone? Yeah. And why is it only like that inside a sort of bubble when people on the outside don't see it? Why are only women coming in? Like there's a bunch of mysteries going on here. We've got this terrific, horrible misogynistic villain called Machismo, Mm -hmm. uh, the nuclear man. He is in here. I can't wait to see him just get the tar kicked Mm -hmm. out of him. It's going to be fun. Cap leading these forces. But she comes in and she doesn't just like take charge. She's like... Where can you use me? And so she works with everyone. You get this really great sense of collective unity and coming together to fight against a big bad, which is really great. And Carmen gets to design all kinds of really neat stuff. New costumes for the heroes, these cool metallic robot men, the wasteland settings and all that stuff. And then Kelly Thompson just firing all on all cylinders mm-hmm. here. She has another book out this week, which is so good. She's incredible. I hope this is the one book that really puts her on superstar status totally. with like all the readers. She deserves it. The work is there. The The quality is there. It's so much fun. I also love a subtle point. This is like maybe super New York City kind of centric and esoteric, but I love that it takes place in Roosevelt Island. There's like a weird bubble there because that's like what it's like <laughs> in real life. It's like this weird commune of a place that is like accessible by like air tram or like one train yeah. <laughs> and they have like their own little world over there. Anyway. I think, and I've lived in New York all my life. I think I've only been to Roosevelt Island once. I'm actually twice. shocked that you've ever been there at all. Like I, and there's no reason. It's just one. I, I remember as a kid taking the tram over there. Yeah. And I think that I want to say that the tram was taken away for a long time because oh, really? it was dangerous. <laughs> right. Maybe that's just my imagination. The Bronx Zoo also used to have a tram and now it huh. doesn't, which bums me out because right. that was the best. Right. Yeah, anyway. you can look over everything. Yeah. Right. Anyway, New York City esoteric good topics uh, aside, the next book this week is Dead Man Logan number four. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. There's something really interesting that I'm noticing just now. I'm like looking at uh, the the books lined up. I'm looking at one through uh, four right here. The logo, which is kind of takes up the left side vertically of each cover, with each issue that passes, like. The first one was like mostly white with a little bit of red kind of blood dripping down at the top. Each issue that passes, the blood is kind of dripping further and further down the logo, which is awesome. Oh, man. And so cool. And uh, now we're kind of fully past the L. We know that the end is coming. We know that this is truly the death of old man Logan. There was something really interesting that happened for me in this issue, which I really liked, which was Mysterio has a fascinating conversation with Hawkeye in here. It like actually had echoes for me of... Marvel Knights Daredevil because we that for me is like the series that has Quentin Beck 
that places him in a, in a in a way that is really complex and like really human and way way beyond a kind of classic just kind of mustache twirly villain and there were kind of shadows of that in this story which i found super fascinating because you know this is a complex story this is logan who is trying to what is it is it a minority report is that is that like the movie where you're stopping crimes before they yeah. happen yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah he's trying to minority report like his own personal alternate universe he's past. got one thing that he knows yeah by him trying to stop this thing from happening yeah he's pushing it further into happening mm-hmm. because he's alerting certain groups that wouldn't have known about this who weren't involved in the original he's like giving them the fodder to do this right. which is Totally. And and for me, what this book is ultimately becoming, and it's super fascinating, it really emerged in this issue, this issue was, this isn't a story about like Logan against the bad guys or who he even perceives to be the bad guys. This is kind of Logan against everyone in a way, because obviously someone like Mysterio, who has certain alignments, is responding, you know, in due course to being pursued by Logan, but also the Avengers, the kind of heroes and the mutants who are usually on Logan's side and have been for years now are resisting in a huge way to him. And so examining those relationships, how they're being strained in different ways is fascinating. Plus, we get uh, old man Logan in a kind of Luke Skywalker Empire Strikes Back back to tank <laughs> scene in here, which is super with, naked yeah, with conveniently placed like uh, touchscreen. <laughs> yeah, but lots of naked yeah. Logan. But uh, yeah, another another great issue with Edmund Logan. Heck yeah. Up next is Ironheart number three, written by Eve L. Ewing, with art by Luciano Vecchio, layouts by Jeffo, colors by Matt Mila, and lettering and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Ironheart, to me, is this perfect template Marvel superhero. She is flawed. She deals with her grief, her anxiety, her fear, her social awkwardness, her trust issues. She's got all these things bubbling up in her head. She's come from tragedy and trauma. You know, with her family and her best friend, she rises up past of all that, heeding the call and the words of heroism. She doesn't always win, but she pushes forward. She's keyed in with a core group of friends and family. All those things make it so classically Marvel and feel so good. And Eve, she makes it all work. She had some fun bits, lots of drama, great action, dope villain. Uh, We find out the identity of the shadowy villain that Riri is up against and is a really neat, extremely deep cut. It connects to classic 90s New Warriors comics in a really neat way. I'm keen to see how Eve is working with Riri's emotions and how she pushes that further because that's an important story to tell. Totally. You know, it's stuff that we're seeing with younger characters, whether it's Sam Alexander or it's Nadia Van Dyne, like these characters who have to go through very difficult things and how they get to past that. That's where the grist of the story is. Plus, Luciano just... Every issue, I think I'm going to keep saying it, the same thing, just gets better and better, and he's future superstar material, to me, with without a doubt. Totally. Next up is Marvel Superhero Adventures Spider-Man Web of Intrigue. We're kind of juggling different things here, and I'm look, I was first just looking at the cover, and I was trying to go through the creators and see if I could name all of them just off the top of my head. Okay, I got Jeff Loveness, I got Ty Templeton, okay, Mariel Del Panino, and then I kind of fell off. <laughs> but uh, uh, beyond that, we have Sholly Fish, 
Ariana Florian and Jim Campbell joining the crew, as well as Kieran Smith and Andy Yanchis and Scotty Young. But this is another great Marvel superhero adventure story. We have a kind of Sinister Six action going on here, and I also love to see uh, old Pete join up with the likes of Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, as well as Miles and Anya. And uh, yeah, this carries it in the best of ways. Some mixed media fun all the way through. Uh, These issues are always a delight. If you have young readers that you're looking to get into the Marvel Universe, this is always our, you know, number one recommendation. It's so much fun all the way through. And for those of you who are completists for character appearances, there is a Stegron appearance in this issue, (laughs) as well as an appearance by The Clam. The Clam character that Jeff Loveness created in Groot, I believe. Wow. uh, A couple years ago. Like, I looked, I was like, I know that that's a character I've seen before. (laughs) I had to do a little digging. The Clam. That's good. I'm going to, like... Go ask someone to write an article about the clam. Let's do it right now. I, I want a big feature on <laughs> yeah. the clam. Next big Marvel superstar. <laughs> All right, there's the headline. I okay. love it. Yeah. One other thing we don't generally talk about reprint books, but I really wanted to talk about Marvel's annotated number one because it's special. This mm-hmm. year, 2019, is the book's 25th anniversary. So we're going to be talking about a bunch throughout the year, but this issue in particular features Marvel's number zero which was originally released after Marvel's came out, or at least after the first issue came out. And it was in the pages of Marvel Age, a different comic, Marvel Age, like 130 through 133. It was serialized, if I remember correctly. Uh, It is written by Alex Ross and Steve Darnell. Alex Ross doing the art. Richard Starkings in Comic Craft on Letters. Then you also have in this issue Marvel's number one by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross with letters by Richard Starkings and John Gauchel. Of course, you get these beautiful reprints, but in addition to that, the annotation pages are awesome. They are really, really cool, especially if you've been digging our exploration of 40s and 50s Marvel content. In the annotation part of this, they show panels and the references that are being used through these stories, the the context for them, the history, tons of extra art and designs, special articles. You have Stanley's intro to the uh, story from the original collection of it, Kurt Busiek's intro to one of the collections, source references, more Kurt Busiek's script to hmm. Marvel's number one, which that right awesome. there is like worth it. It's, it is a delight and highly suggest you pick this up. And if you've never read Marvel's, now is the perfect time because yeah. like, this is... This is it. We're digging into it right now. And uh, we've spoken a couple times about my oral history of Marvel Knights. And this is the first time I'm saying anything about it. But Marvel's 25th anniversary is going to be my next big kind of long form feature piece. And I'm really excited to dig into all that. And I mean, honestly, this annotated issue is going to be like a ridiculous help (laughs) with that. There's so much in here. Next up is Mr. and Mrs. X. Number eight. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Oscar Balzaldua. Colors by Frank D'Armada and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Ryan, you mentioned Kelly a little bit earlier and the just incredible work that she's doing across the board, across everything that she's writing at the moment. And this falls squarely into that. One of the great things about Kelly is, you know, not just her ability to capture character voice and things like that, which with Rogue and Gambit is like one of the most fun things about reading this series is, you know, these characters just have such defined voices in so many different ways. And and that's always a delight to read. And Kelly obviously captures that brilliantly, but it's also her imagination 
And I just love to see the different directions she's going. I mean, we talked about earlier with Captain Marvel and she's just kind of spun Captain Marvel into this really cool, like post-apocalyptic inspired story that it's, you know, something that certainly doesn't immediately jump to mind when you think Carol Danvers story, but it works so perfectly. And that's what's really fun about this issue of Mr. and Mrs. X is we're jumping between like these kind of different fairy tale lands is kind of how they're described at least but we start in like what felt kind of like a what are peter pan's bros called the lost boys (laughs) the lost boys uh no 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 i'm not thinking of peter pan i'm thinking of the other guy that has a green suit robin hood that's merry men yeah, the Merry Men. Anyway, we're like in a forest and it's like this fantasy inspired thing. We started, we're going there. We see like this kind of Western inspired iteration of it. We're jumping between these different realities in a really fun way. And we also get something that's really fun about that is we get like different kind of realizations of the characters as they kind of jump between. And I felt like as I was reading, was it a new novel way for you to get creeped out by Gambit, which was like, <laughs> is, is, you know, a feat all in its own. And, you know, I think Kelly understands this relationship really unlike anyone else. And that's why she's the perfect person to tell the story. Heck yeah. All right. Up next is Ms. Marvel number 38. And this one is... It's a humdinger. It's a whopper. It's a big one. It's a big one, and uh, it's got a big creative team on it. So it's first nine pages is written by G. Willow Wilson. It's also got guest writing by Devin Grayson, Eve L. Ewing, Jim Zub, and Saladin Ahmed, as well as art by Nico Leon, Takeshi Miyazawa, Joey Vasquez, Kevin Labranda, Minkyu Zhang, and Juan Vlasco. Colors across all this, plus a bonus page by Ian Herring and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Now, why all those creators, you may ask, for an issue number 38? Well, first, it is the five-year anniversary of Ms. Marvel. It's the 60th issue of a Ms. Marvel series, but it is also the end of an era. Yeah. As not only is G. Willow Wilson wrapping up her tenure, and along with her, the you know art team and mm-hmm. stuff, of Nico Leone and Ian Herring, but longtime editor, co-creator of Ms. Marvel, Sana Amanath, is also done. And so they're doing it in a really fun, very Ms. Marvel feeling yeah. issue. Yeah. You know, like Ms. Marvel always been like someone who likes video games and it's fun, it's quirky. So the sort of setup of this issue is Kamala and her friends getting sucked into this sort of video gamey world to solve a problem in Jersey City. They've got quests. They've got problems to solve. It's really, really neat. Very cute. Very fun story. It's a fitting end to the to this run. Yeah, totally. It feels like there's a very specific kind of brand of villain, but also like adventure that we have come to expect in Ms. Marvel. And really, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because synonymous with Ms. Marvel is G. Willow Wilson and, and this creative team across the board, all the way exactly like you said through the editorial staff. So it's really, really fun to celebrate that in this way. And it's also super exciting getting a little quick little taste of Saladin, who will be taking over the new Ms. Marvel series. It's going to be so exciting to see this just amazing character open up a new chapter and to see what areas that um, she's going to stretch into maybe, or embiggen into. Yeah, and, you know, it's not just Saladin and Mikio Young, who, it's great, they're in here, 
they are sort of getting a little test yeah. of Ms. Marvel. Alana Smith will be joining the book as editor. But the other creators are all doing Ms. Marvel stories, whether mm-hmm. it's in Champions or Marvel Team Up or Marvel Rising. So we get a sampling of other creators who either already are or will be lending their amazing talents to Kamala's further adventures. So it's it's a good celebration type issue. Totally. All right, we've also got The Punisher, issue number eight out this week, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Simon Kudransky, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This one, I mean, every issue of Punisher is full of wacky, just over-the-top, violent, Mm -hmm. interesting stuff that Matthew comes up with, and this one is just the best. Basically, it's about Frank engineering a, a takeover of this prison in Bagalia that he's in. Have you ever seen The Great Escape? I'm sure you have. No. You of all people, <laughs> I would have assumed would have seen The Great Escape. Wow. It is a classic. Yeah. Steve McQueen. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a great cast. Wonderful movie. Uh, anyway, this story reminded me of that a bit. Instead of breaking out like they do in The Great Escape, it's about taking over. Mm. Uh, just the way they engineer things and they're sort of putting all these plans in motion yeah. and how everything has to fall into place. And this issue, it's a hoot. It moves very fast. It is very wild. It's just pure dope Punisher action. Next up is Runaways number 18. It's written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Chris Anka, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is an issue that digs really deep into the relationship between kind of the Runaways and a member of the Runaways, Alex Wilder. Because at the end of the last issue, we had, oh man, that 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 naughty little guy. <laughs> he had like another, uh, he's a naughty little guy. Come on. Which one's it? Alex? Alex? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I like this. I'm, I'm, I'm all about this. I look, just was not expecting look, that. Look, that is, that is me editorializing my feelings because there are many stronger words that I'm sure the, the runaways could use to describe him. How'd you like that evasive little escape from... Uh, anyway, at the end of the last issue, we had like another classic Alex Wilder kind of heel turn where, you know, again, he's kind of revealed himself or at least a dimension of himself or at least what in his mind is, you know, a kind of for the greater good decision. And looking at how the rest of the team reacts to that is really fascinating because we've been here before and that is kind of what so much of modern day runaways is built around. And really even going back to the original Vaughn Alfona run is like built around this dynamic that reveals itself across the original series between, you know, the entire crew and between this constantly like mercurial, hard to define, hard to pinned down figure in Alex Wilder. It feels like we've kind of reached an emotional high point of this series so far. And uh, Rainbow and Chris have done incredible work all the way throughout. It's all been set up. It's actually kind of funny. As you were describing Punisher, that's a good, I love that kind of story where it's just like dominoes, you know, like it's all set up and then you get to watch it all unfold. And so to see the characters react in turn and how that is changing and defining the new relationships between all the runaways is super fascinating. One of the things that you uh, talked about this, everything building to here is this is such an important issue. This is also Chris Anka's last issue on the series, at least. Very dismayed. It is tragedy. It is calamity. It is sadness. But it is what an issue to go out on. Seriously. You know, it's like 
that duo of Chris and Matt Wilson, so good. Fortunately, we're going to have a great artist come on next issue, Andres Genole, who recently did the Spider-Girl series during mm. Spider-Verse, yeah. or Spider-Verse. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see where it goes. All right, up next is Savage Sword of Conan, number one, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Ron Garney, colors by Richard Eisenhoff, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Gorgeous cover by Alex Ross, bunch of covers. One of the cool things, there's a cover in here, I think, I think it might be the first Marvel work by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman. Whoa. And it's a gorgeous, really cool variant cover. Uh, if you can get your hands on that one. But really cool stuff. So we have Conan the Barbarian, which is the title that is an ongoing story telling various tales of Conan through the years. But it's really about his battles against the Crimson Witch and the death god Razazel. Oh, yeah. Tucker is looking at me saying it is my... Pick of the week. That's right, Tucker. Thank yeah, you for yeah. reminding me. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's my fault. I um, I, I'm a huge fan of Jerry Duggan's work and Ron Garney. Obviously, a master. This is like, I could have told you this was going to be my pick of the week like months ago. I remember sitting down with Jerry at New York Comic Con last fall. He must have just been writing this issue actually, because one of the things he mentioned to me at the time was that he had just written his first by Crom, and he said <laughs> it felt amazing. Knowing that and, and going in and reading this, you can just feel that obviously Jerry has an incredible command of like massive storytelling. Think of Infinity Wars, think of Guardians of the Galaxy, things like that. He has just the scope of his stories can be so huge and the tone can be so huge. And you really feel that here. I felt like Jerry is like just super leaning into that like epic poem kind of like tone where it's just huge and just kind of like metal and just so much fun just leaning into all of that because like that is the most fun element of this is just there's there's absolutely room for just really beautiful and wonderful little subtle character moments and things like that but at the end of the day you're coming to see conan swinging his savage sword and chopping off like death cult members heads it's awesome there's like it's kind of like a a pirate story in a way, and there's also this kind of mystical cultish Kogathun story that's starting to swirl here. But yeah, it, you know, the entire premise of Conan and Conan comics is just that we, exactly like you said, zoom in on different eras of his life, and we do that with a really interesting kind of framing of this story here. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I could not be more excited that we get to read. Conan stories every week, every other week or so from Jerry Duggan and Jason Aaron. I mean, it's just like a ridiculous gift. Soon we're going to get a third one. Yeah. Teeny Howard's got yeah. you know the story of Belit. So uh, good. And in the back of this, there's also the serialized novella by Scott Odin called Shadow of Vengeance, which will be serialized over the next 12 issues of Savage Sword, uh, which is really cool. There's so much cool Conan content. Totally. Next up is Shatter Star number five. It's written by Tim Seeley with pencils by Carlos Vila, inks by Juan Velasco and Carlos Vila, flashback art by Gerardo Sandoval, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is the end of the Shatter Star limited series, which has been super fascinating because, really, one, you know, looking back at this entire series, it has just been like 100 miles a minute the entire time. It's just been really super kinetic, very kind of 80s, 90s inspired movement and action and art in uh, all the best ways. There's some really cool character work being done here at the same time by Tim Seeley as we kind of flash 
into the character's past, where Shatterstar has been, what kind of defines Shatterstar as a character within the Marvel Universe, those kind of big pillars that make him who he is, examining those, but also telling this story in a really fascinating way in this kind of gladiator story that has allowed us to zoom into all those character moments in and out like that. There's some really cool stuff with the Grandmaster as well in here that kind of really has served as a a very interesting foil to everything Shatterstar because Shatterstar is so like slice, slice, cut, very present and like super muscular and, and, and really kind of physical in that way. Whereas Grandmaster is complete opposite in a lot of different ways where he is this kind of cosmic elder who has, you know, control beyond everything like that. So to see those clash is really, really fun. And uh, yeah, I've just really enjoyed this series. It's been ridiculously fast-paced action all the way through, and I thought this totally uh, stuck the landing. Heck yeah. Next up is Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, number five, written by Shauna McGuire, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, another gorgeous cover by Bengal. This one... Now we're getting into the groove for me. This is this is a different Gwen book than the, the previous Spider-Gwen series. Now she is her identity is public. She's got a good relationship with her dad. They know about what each other's lives is all about. They've been through a bunch of stuff, but come out of it stronger together. She's got her friends. She's got her band back together. She's able to be a hero. And it's a fun, fresh like lookout for Gwen. Shannon also knows how to throw hurdles at her, too. Gwen's own brain and feelings about life. She like constantly tripping over herself, which is so real. It's something that we always do as people is Gwen has to deal with her recognizability in ways she didn't before. And, and like what that causes in her is anxiety and feelings and balancing things. It's really rock solid, fun stuff. And I wanted to make sure we talked about Takeshi Miyazawa because there's a shot of Gwen running away from people who want to take a selfie with her. Just so much fun. He brings such life, such vibrancy, such character to his art. It's so kinetic. He's done Runaways before. He's Ultimate Spider-Man. Really a delightful artist. Very glad to see him on. Hopefully we'll see him on more issues. TBD. I don't actually know who's who's on next issue. No. Next up is Spider-Man versus Deadpool Number 46, it's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Matt Horak, colors by Brian Reber and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, look, Spidey and Deadpool just barely like made it out of the negative zone of the last story arc. and We're kicking off a new story arc here, which is very fun. It's like I can just imagine Robbie pitching this story idea because <laughs> it is so organic and so perfect for a Spider-Man and Deadpool story. It's kind of like takes advantage of like every event and like the tone of like every Marvel Universe event. In fact, essentially, Spidey and Deadpool come back to Earth and they have emerged into like a reality where the heroes have already like lost like or are in the middle of losing a major event. And it and to be specific, it's the infinite house of civil yet secret crisis war invasion. That they come back in the middle. I of. know that story. <laughs> yeah. Um and the cover's great because it says the biggest story ever. The Marvel Universe will never be the same. The earth-shattering saga that will change everything. And it really leans into that in every single way. It's just so much fun. There's also a really cool version of Silk in here, which was awesome and like visually felt kind of inspired by like a New Mutants era uh, things, which I really enjoyed. I feel like we're just on a kind of big tour at the moment. We've been saying that for a little while where we're kind of visiting these different kinds of... Marvel comics. It's really interesting to see how Robbie 
takes the self-referential aspect to like a new level where it's not just like, haha, I know I'm in a comic book kind of Deadpool stuff, but it's like, okay, this is a negative zone story and we're going to take advantage of, and we're going to blow up this kind of negative zone story. And now this is like an, a big event story and we're going to blow up everything that like a classic big event story is all about. And it really does that. It's so much fun. And, you know, of course it works. And Matt Horak, so good on oh, this. Yeah. Like, you know, he's been gone from a couple issues, giving him time to work on this storyline. So cool. There's this big fight sequence in here with a massive monster creature. It's so neat. Sound effects built into the art. He's like leveling up right right before our eyes, mm-hmm. which is really fun. All right. Time for some Star Wars action with Star Wars Age of Republic Count Dooku. This one is written by Jody Hauser, art by Luke Ross, colors by Hava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, covers by Paolo Rivera. First things first, Tucker. Yes. What is the story behind the planet Sullust? Is that Okay, so yeah, Sullust is like a really well known I think probably like one of the biggest pieces of media that it's been focused in on is like Battlefront maybe. The idea behind the planet is that it's like kind of an imperial stronghold where like a lot of ships are built and things like that. It's kind of like mined for a lot of its resources and used as uh, essentially just like an industrial site for uh, a lot of the empire. Actually, now that I'm talking about it, I think the very first reference of Sullust comes in like a throwaway line from Luke in 1977's Star Wars. And it's actually quoted quite often by Mark Hamill where he says like this is like the epitome of like George Lucas wild sci-fi verbiage that was incredibly hard to say. And I think he quotes it often because he says that this was one of the lines he had to say in his audition where it's just like something about like the power of the Death Star and this like moons of Celis, something like that. But anyway, so it goes back a long time and it's appeared in a ton of different Star Wars media, extended universe and legends or whatever at this point. But yeah, always love to see it. And I specifically love it because it has a really great kind of visual aesthetic all the way through. Yeah. And I love the story. It, you know, has a Jedi Knight who looks like a tiger. Come on. That was so cool. So cool. Yeah. I don't know anything about him, but I was like, I like giving yeah. more of these guys. Yeah. They're great. It's got Luke Ross's fantastic art. I love the way he handles creatures. There's this one panel of, you know, you see a bunch of different creatures. I think it's like a pub or cantina yeah, type yeah. thing. There's a realism there that reminds me of like Henson Muppet work. Right. I looked at it almost like I was like, wow, it looks like a, a creature you would see. Sure. But not like a drawing of the creature, but the actual creature. It was really fascinating the way that looked. And you feel it. You just feel it as uh, as you read this issue. Totally. Next up is Star Wars Han Solo Imperial Cadet number four. It's written by Robbie Thompson. Hey, Robbie. With pencils by Leonard Kirk. Inks by Danielle Orlandini. Colors by Arif Prianto and letters by VCs Joe Caramani. It's been really interesting in this limited series to dive into this era of Han Solo's life, one that is being rendered canonically for the first time as we read it here, which is his story as an Imperial pilot. We see him in the midst of battle here in like real warfare. It almost felt like the trench run of the first Death Star in Star Wars, like when everything is going wrong and like Biggs is getting killed and everyone around you is getting killed and feels completely hopeless. That's kind of the tone that this had for me because it's a lot of flying. It's a lot of claustrophobia. It's a lot of kind of like death defying things, people around Han getting blown up, things like that. So yeah, another really fun, fascinating issue of Imperial Cadet as we wrap up the series with the next issue. And one of the things about this 
book that like clicked for me, this issue was you get the sense of people who are part of the empire and you are given their layers, their personalities, their humanity, but you're not like also like then go, Oh, I sympathize with the empire. You Robbie and the team are able to balance you on that knife's edge while you, you can feel for these people. You also know that they are part of a death machine yeah. and they are terrible. Yeah. Uh, up next is Thor number 10 written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Del Mundo, with colors by Mike and Marco D'Alfonso, letters and production by VCs Joe Sabino. This is an intense issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it is focused on fathers, Odin and Laufey specifically, and how utterly terrible they are to their kids. Jason tells a great story, as always. You've got this Odin here. He's kind of conflicted, but like only so conflicted. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> He wants to talk to his kid. He wants to tell Thor that he loves him, but he just can't. I don't know. I'm I'm a hugger. I'm a talker. I'm like very comfortably emotional type person. So I have no problem telling people I love them and, mm -hmm. and, and expressing those things. So it's really interesting to me to see completely emotionally stunted yeah. men who yeah. just like, what is wrong with you? You're an alien creature. Stop it. Like, <laughs> Get in touch with yourself. <laughs> right. You know, it's not just feelings talk on this issue. We've got smashed creatures. We've got this brutal, bloody fight that goes through almost the whole book. And very mean things are said to various characters. It's a very cool issue and feels very ominous in our lead up to the War of the Realms. My last issue this week is Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 41. It's written by Ryan North with art by Naomi Franquise, colors by Rico Renzi, letters by Travis Lanham. This is a one-off story that is really fun. I think this is Naomi's Marvel debut, mm. which is awesome. This is a story where uh, Nancy Whitehead and Peter Parker are tied up together by a very fun kind of new villain. Uh, it's like a perfect Squirrel Girl kind of in-between standalone issue here where, you know, for me, it's it hits all the right notes, but it's like seeing it imbued with Naomi's art added a kind of very interesting new dimension for it because it's Ryan North who is like, has been described many times as like people in 99 years will be like looking back at Ryan North's writing of Doreen Green to like know how to get that character right yeah. but the artwork felt very different and imbued it with like a new energy for me which was so much fun can never say enough about Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and I think I want to see more Naomi Frank Weez. yeah we also we mentioned a little bit new villain-ish quote-unquote mm -hmm. villain here Ms. Quizzler mm -hmm. so good so much fun all right last book of the week is Winter Soldier number three written by Kyle Higgins art by Rod Reese Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles and uh, just great stuff, cover and everything by Rod. But this book, man, like it, it's so cool. It's the, the idea is Bucky is trying to help other people get out of bad situations. Sort of like that is what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. So you have Bucky trying to live this better life, trying to help other people, dealing with his trauma, getting his face kicked in by the spot is <laughs> so fun. I love the spot. He's such a weird, cool villain opening these little black holes to move through, to transport things through, to like use it to punch people yeah, in the face. Yeah. It's so visually fun. Rod just goes ham with it here. Mm -hmm. Like has so much fun showing the 
possibilities of this. There's also a great story with the spot in Daredevil a couple years ago. Mm. Check it out. I believe it was the Mark Wade Chris Somney run. Mm. That's a lot of fun. But spot, super, super cool. Great visual. Also features Dr. Leonard Samson, <laughs> uh, which is neat. He's a super-powered psychiatrist to superheroes. Real thing. He used to have this long 90s ponytail. Now he has like a very uh, current man bun. Yeah. So in 20 years, we're going to be like, Oh, yeah. look at that guy. I want the, the 90s ponytail to come back. Yeah. That's me awesome. Too. I just want a good mullet. <laughs> yeah. If, if my wife didn't threaten divorce, I would have a beautiful <laughs> mull. Anyway, back to this book. Uh, it's got Tony Stark and Bucky's cat. I want mm-hmm. more of Bucky and his cat. His little white cat. So cute. I feel like if, if this was, if this story was rendered in a different medium, it would make people go insane because we yeah. have Bucky beard. Oh my God. Specifically. Yeah. And yeah. It, it Everything looks great. about this. Yeah. So much. <laughs> yeah. People would be banana uh the main focus of this issue is bucky and rj and buck trying to help rj not go down the same path that bucky has gone down there's really cool two-page battle spread with bucky rj and the spot definitely read it it is such a great book right now totally collections on sale this week include captain marvel earth's mightiest hero volume five daughters of the dragon deep cuts i think is that the collection of this most recent series the digital only yes it is heck yeah that is a must buy oh yeah we also have decades marvel in the 50s captain america strikes excalibur epic collection girls school from heck hulk the dogs of war immortal hulk volume two the green door you know that's a you gotta have that if you've not been reading along oh yeah Infinity Warps 2-in-1, Infinity Wars. Loved Infinity Wars. Oh, yeah, so good. Luke Cage, Power Man, Masterworks, Volume 3. Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 5. And... Uh, I'm going to make you say it. You uh, say it. I, was, well, I wanted you to say it. One last time. Okay, here we go. Spider-Geddon. You crushed it, Tucker. Thank you. Spider-Geddon. Yeah. Those are the collections. We've also got a bunch of stuff on the, the Marvel Unlimited. Oh, I'm looking here also on the digital collections on sale this week. Looks like there's more 50s era stuff. So Atlas era, Jungle Adventure, Masterworks, mm. which is neat. We've been, we will, and we have been talking a lot about the 50s Marvel comics. So it's, it's just neat to see that. And then on Marvel Unlimited, tons and tons of stuff. There's so much Spider-Man this week. Yeah. Spider-Man Annual, Spider-Man Deadpool, Spider-Man Dead Man's Hand, Spider-Man The Osborne Journal. Oof. Ooh, there's a Thanos source book. That's neat. A book called The Order, which is really, really cool. I would highly suggest you check that out. That is hitting Marvel Unlimited as well as a Man-Thing series from 2004 and plenty more. We'll have the full list for it. Ooh, all those issues of Venus. Sorry, I'm like a- a Venus. Venus. Uh, Venus is great. 50s era stuff. I wish this was on here before we were recording all of our 50s stuff because- So Venus starts out kind of as a romance book Mm -hmm. uh, and she's sort of this- siren song goddessy woman and then as everybody's like oh horror comics are great it turns into a horror book and i've never read those i just know the covers i know some of the creators and stuff in all my research that i've done uh so i'm going to be reading those venus issues because i'm very excited to see the shift that that book takes It's real good. Uh, that's everything this week. Stay tuned as we've just been talking about. Lots of 50 stuff between This Week in Marvel and Marvel's pull list. Really cool, fun chats about the history of Marvel. I think you guys are going to enjoy. But for now, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.